Street Smart Mental Health Podcast, brought to you, as always, from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group Studios. My name is Michael Wellington. My partner across the table, as always, is Brandon Magnamy. Brandon? Hey there. How are we doing today? Good, you, you good? Got the deck being put in today on the round the plastic puddle. Everything's good. Excited to talk with these guys. We have, I'd say, over... Almost 60 years of veteran experience in this room right now as our guest. We've got Herman Lugi, who was the recreational therapy director at the VA hospital for how many years, Herman? 36. 36 years in that position. And we have the one and only Sam Gilliland, who not only is an Air Force veteran, but also a PGA professional. He works tirelessly with veterans and civilians alike to work in our golf game. But we thought that it would be fun to have them both in and then just talk about kind of the mental health aspect that Herman has watched over the years talk about if Sam has ever fully corrected his mental illness. We'll get into that during this this, this hour or so. Um, But I I definitely want to start with Herman. Herman, how did you get into that position as the recreational therapy director? And like, how did did that, was that something you always wanted to do or did it just kind of stumble in front of you? Well, I I came on as a uh, therapist in 1979 and then I uh, was given this job around 86, I guess. I came into the job as a director. Then it was the chief of recreation therapy is what they called it and then supervisor and then reorganization. But uh, so it was a a love of, uh, you know, of just what I did as a kid, just activity-based therapy it was uh, it was great that was that was my question for, for our listeners i don't know if they because uh, I, I was looking into what you know we were going to talk about today mike told me you are a recreational therapist correct what exactly is that it's an activity-based program there's a leisure continuum they call it there are three parts to it we do therapy uh-huh. we do education uh-huh. and then we do self-direction through activities, whether it's a mental health disorder, a physical disorder, spinal cord injury, a head injury, whatever it is, that we'll get them involved in activities and we'll work on behaviors oh, related okay. to that. So they're actually doing certain, like, I guess, like, kind of like what you do with birdies for, like, golf, right? Like, that's sure, a that's, recreational that's type of therapy. That's how Herman and Sam and I all met each other because they began the Veterans Golf League around 2013, 2014, and I went over and, and began playing with them. And golf was a recreational therapy activity Got that it. they were, okay. you know, seeing some success with. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, Herman, when you started in just those first, let's say, five to ten years, what kind of things were you seeing these veterans deal with? Was it serious depression? Was it anxiety? Was it all of the above? Like, just kind of paint the picture of what it looked like from your position at the very beginning of your... You know, when I started in 1979, it was more of an institutionalized picture. There were long-term psych patients that had been living there for 20 and 30 years. There were a long-term care, a nursing home where they would live till they would die. Over the years, it became more therapeutic rather than a place to live and to maintain them. So it's grown and and then developed into a community-based program in terms of especially rec therapy. Because what the VA is good for is they're great on the therapy end, but they, they have a tendency to institutionalize and treat the patient within the medical center. Right. But getting out into real life, and that's where recreation therapy 
is so much a part of is because we engage them in golf and bowling and swimming and taking their family to a park. And, you know, it, it might be a, a vet that's got PTSD. I had a vet one time came in and he was walking across a bridge at a park and a helicopter flew over and he jumped over the rail of the bridge into the creek oh just as a reaction. To it because so, he'd probably done that before without all flashback, it flashed wow. back on him. So wow. that's intense. Yeah. I mean, you know, today in 2023, a lot more people are doing what we're doing right here. We're having this conversation about mental health, but back then, late 70s and through the 80s, right. what was the talk like? Was it swept under the rug more? Was it were people afraid? Or, I mean, you probably had a better front row seat than anybody. Well, I think, to, I, think the, I think the easiest thing to do at that point was to medicate. Medicate and maintain is what I call it. Pills? Yeah. Yeah. Pill shots, uh, electric shock treatments. What kind of shots? Because yeah. I'm familiar with the electric so, shock and I obviously know the pill part. I can't name all the drugs, but right. you know, they, would, they would inject them. Wow, that's interesting. Because I have, yeah. you know, certainly had my own. But that, story back then, it was Thorazine, you know, big hitters, and I mean, we we had patients who were on a, a huge amounts of, you know, those drugs. But that was basically it. You know, that's how they treated it. And uh, then then they got more into, you know, the the psychologists, the the social workers, and the team got together and developed treatment plans and and became more clinical, uh, a whole clinical approach where, you know, you took all the different professionals and they worked on specific goals and developed treatment plans, multidisciplinary treatment plans that involved the whole team rather than put them on a unit, lock in the door and maintain them. Hmm. They do a, a much, much better job of that. That's today good. Than they did back then. So in your position, the day-to-day be, okay, they're at the VA hospital, these veterans that are battling their PTSD, their depression, their anxieties, all these things. And then they would come to you and your area for an hour a day or two hours a day. Like, what did, it, what did that look like? As various treatment team members would treat them for a variety of programs, you know, they would have an hour or two with me or we might expand it more. And then in the evenings, we would provide diversionary activities that would extend their day, you know, rather than hey, I'm going home, see, it's four o'clock, watch some TV, sit there and take it easy. You know, we would, we would actually have programs for them. We'd what, have- What kind of programs? A swimming programs, exercise programs. So uh, something we, for them to do when they get- Yeah, no, and, and then we had, we had a multitude of VFWs, American Legions, Crest, right. the Elks would come in and they would do everything from horse racing. They bring in reels of horse races and we'd have horse racing and they could bet on horse racing and and uh, we had a bowling a six lane bowling alley and we'd have a bowling tournament and uh you know or we had i had one guy that would come in and he would teach scuba diving you know not that we were you know officially do that but uh, teach the guys the different aspects of things that they could do when they were discharged so rec therapy is a, is that transition into regular life yeah you know, Sounds like it. It's really taken a different light than it did when I was there in 79. When I was there starting in 79, we were, you know, we were the fun people. Just go down and, right. you know. It's like recess. Yeah. In fact, we had a, a director of, it was a vet, it was a triple amputee, and you probably know him. Max Cleland was the head of the VA. And uh, around 79, 80, he decided to take rec therapy out from underneath a rehab structure and make it its own service. Because when he was in the VA, in order to play ping pong, he had to have a referral to play ping pong. Referral? What do you like? Well, it would be a consult. Like to say, uh, Herman, here's a consult for uh, 
Mike Wellington. He wants to play ping pong. So, so develop a program. It's like a prescription for ping pong. Like a prescription for play ping pong. Exactly. Yeah. So Max took us out, and from there on, our service grew, you know, into what it is today. So you retired, correct me if I'm wrong, you retired in 2015, right? Correct. Correct. So in all your years of doing this, can you put together like a, a top three or even a one, you know, top of the mountain item that was most effective in helping these guys deal with their PTSD and all the things that come along with that. We are very fortunate to have uh, some really neat facilities there, a full-length gymnasium, a swimming pool. Uh, we taught kayaking. Oh, cool. we, uh, we taught golf. The, the PGA would come in. We had clinics before the PGA even came. Went through the University of Missouri. They would come up. A gentleman by the name of Jerry Heisusen, who's since passed. So I would say those items. But I also got to tell you that when, when you look at at what we're able to do there, we were able to extend that into the community. And the golf program is a perfect example. We have a therapist now that has active patients and outpatient status, John Schmink, that comes out. And John will actually treat them and play golf with them and be able to work through some of their issues, be it self-confidence, any kind of PTSD issues or whatever. He's there to work with them from what he has assessed their needs to be. So it's pretty cool. No, it's incredible. And I think it's very interesting. You know, we talk on our podcast here quite a bit about exercise and a big, a big talking point has always been music therapy. But all the activities that you just mentioned, right, a lot of them are based in some sort of exercise. And, and I think people these days, even though we should be further along, it's 2023, that people should utilize simple exercise stuff, you know, like whether it's going out and playing ping pong or pickleball is real popular these days, you know? And I think just the, the simple usage of exercise is so important and people just don't even realize that it's fundamental right. piece. It's just, it's, it's totally missing. I mean, you know, you've seen so many things over the years, like what were the things that you saw that got your attention in your job when you see these veterans come in and, you know, like you mentioned the guy jumping off the bridge, but like, what were the things that got your attention? Like when you're just one-on-one -on -one with them, like at the gym or in the bowling alley that, that said, Hey, you know what? I got to help this guy with this, or I got to help this lady with this. I think when you're involved in an activity, no matter what it was, be it bowling or exercise or whatever, it gets them to a level that they can interact with you. It gets to that special social? place. Yeah. That social place. Mm -hmm. And they feel it easy because they've done some of that when they grew up. You know, a lot of these people were very active, went in the military, had some issues, whatever those issues were, physical, mental, whatever. And then they started isolating. So now we're taking them into an activity-based program, and they're having fun. Mm -hmm. And I'm the good guy. I'm right. the therapist. I'm the good guy. So I'm sitting there going, uh, so tell me what's going on, Joe. Well, uh, man, I'm having a hell of a time with this staff member or with this issue. Well, maybe, you, you know, maybe you know, there's a different way to look at it. So you'd sit there and help them. And then they would be able to deal with those other issues better. Yeah. But it, that's the one thing. And I think we all know that when you get into the different activities, be it golf or whatever, there's a primal level that you get to that you can just like, okay, I can relax. I can interact. I'm comfortable. I don't feel threatened. Mm -hmm. That's what the recreation therapy does. It gets them to that level. It's different than sitting on the couch across the way from the counselor or the talk therapist, right? You get them yeah. in the bowling alley yeah. and they're they're having a good game or whatever, right. and then they're easier to reach, right? Right, because Absolutely. they're number one, they're moving around, they're interacting with other people on a social level. 
And that, I think, helps people to open up. Yeah, and, and some of the therapists, some of the other therapists, the social workers and the psychologists kind of figure that out. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're coming down bowling again with them so they can get to that level. You know, yeah. they can they can they can interact with them on a on a on a in a, on a pure level where they're at ease. And it's like, oh, you're a regular guy. You're not the psychologist. Right. Right. And then they can be more open, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. More open, more comfortable. And that trust is, is a real factor in therapy because you realize a lot of our young vets, and Sam can address the old vets, a lot of our young vets don't want to necessarily re-engage with the VA when they get out. Is that right? They're, oh, yeah. They're well, why, why do you think that is? I don't know. Maybe Sam can address that. But it's, you know, they've been told what to do and where to go. And, and they feel many of them that they got screwed over. So now you want them to go back into a system that screwed them over. And that, that's how they I, see it. I get that. That makes sense. And yeah. So there's a lot of trust issues. So the things we do, like with the golf league, there are some guys that come out and they call me up and they hey, can I, can I come out? I'm, I'm not registered with the VA. Well, sure you can come out. So they think they've, you know, they've got to get registered with the VA before they can do anything like that. Wow. So they think they're kind of handcuffed. Yeah. And by calling you guys, they, they realize that it's not all about the VA. And then when they come out, then they get with their brothers and sisters. Right. And then they find out that there's programs. Hey, you know, maybe why don't you get signed up with the VA and why don't you come to a PTSD group with me? Why don't you go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting or something like that? Or why don't you go see so-and-so about your prosthetic leg that you never really got fixed right they do some pretty good work you know so and then hearing that from a peer makes absolutely. them absolutely. consider it more seriously absolutely and that's probably one of the biggest things that i yeah. hear from the vets is you know that camaraderie and that friendship you and i can tell them that it's beneficial but when their brother or sister tell them oh yeah it's a different story it means yeah. more we have covered so much here let's take a quick break and come right back Looking for a dealership who cares about our community? Look to Lou. Lou Fuse gives back to local businesses and charities. Looking for a name that supports youth sports? Look to Lou for Fuse Athletic. And we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. Looking for a huge vehicle inventory? Look to Lou with 17 brands at 13 locations. For the very best car buying experience, you've got to look to Lou Fuse. The Street Smart Mental Health Podcast is powered by Birdies for Bipolar. Birdies for Bipolar aids veterans and civilians living with mental illness by using golf as recreational therapy. For more information, check out birdiesforbipolar.org. That's birdies, the number four, bipolar.org. Welcome back to Street Smart. Let's dig back in. Sammy Gilliland. Yep. Talk to me about how long you were in the Air Force. 20 years, 20 days, 14 hours, and 35 minutes, but I wasn't counting. Nobody was paying attention. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I want to touch on a quick story that you told me many years ago. Herman touched on it before you got here today, but before you went in the Air Force, you went to UCLA. Is that right? Correct. And tell our listeners, you were there for baseball, but you wound up playing another sport for a very well-known coach, right? Well, I don't know if I really played for him. I mean, there were things that happened that kind of rounded about. Coming out of high school, I had scholarships to colleges for baseball and basketball. The Baltimore Orioles drafted me as a pitcher. 
And I was all excited and happy because I had a nice big money check sitting in front of me with my name on it. And Dad said, nope, not signing. We had to be 21. He didn't want you to sign with the, with the Orioles? Yeah, he wouldn't sign for it. Wow. Wow. But I couldn't sign for it because I wasn't 21 years old. I couldn't sign that again. Wasn't Dad a professor or teacher? My dad had a Ph.D. Yes. in chemistry, master's in math. Oh, fuck. That's he a smart guy. He worked for the Anaconda Copper Mining Company. He was their chief chemist. He traveled all over the world for the Anaconda Copper Mining Company, which Butte, when I was growing up, Butte had the largest open pit mine in the world. You were from Montana, right? Yep. Same town as Phil Jackson? Am I, do I have that nope. right? No. Anaconda. It's close? Okay. He was from Butte. Okay. Butte had the open pit mine. Anaconda has, and I still think it is to this day, the largest smokestack in the world. You can put an 18-wheeler on the edge of the stack, and you can make a turn all the way around the top of that stack. That's how big it is. Okay. <laughs> what was his excuse for not letting you sign? Only because you weren't yeah, 21? Well, like, I would have been freaking out. I had to go to college. Okay. I didn't have... Growing up as a kid, I didn't get many options, you know? I mean, uh, we had rules that had to be followed. And a typical me, I was in trouble all the time anyway. No. I, well, I was the baby. I, I thought I could do anything I wanted to do. And uh, I found out I couldn't, <laughs> you know, and dad made sure about that. Now, mom stuck up for me, you know, but when he said, that's it, it was it, it was it. So I go off and go down there. and You decided to go to UCLA, is that right? Yeah, that, only because I had a sister and brother-in-law that lived in L.A. I asked if I could live with them. And my brother-in-law, who's really my brother, and my sister said, yeah, come on. So I went down in the spring and when I went, it, when I went down and... At just one thing led to another. You were going there to play baseball originally, right? I No, or I was going there, going there for there to go nothing. To I was okay. just going to go to school. All I wanted to do was get school and get my degree as fast as I possibly could so I could go back to Baltimore and sit on my side. What year is this? 1964. Okay. All right. Oh, that was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you alive now? No. I was minus 13. <laughs> <laughs> That, that might have been my mental age in my next third. I just wanted to get my education and go. Well, one thing led to another. Next thing I know, it's lunchtime. We're playing basketball, and this guy comes up to me, and I don't have any idea. He said, you have practice tonight at 5 o'clock. You're just playing a pickup game. Yeah, it's just a pickup aren't game. You, aren't you dunking on his basket or something you told well, me? Well, and dunking it, wasn't allowed back then, right? No. You couldn't dunk. No. Now it's they got a contest. Yeah. The, the, we were just, I was playing with these guys, and we just, I mean, we were together all the time. I mean, it was, I mean, we'd go out and go to the beach, and I'd try to surf and ride this stupid board on a wave that I had no idea. That just I, sounds crazy, doesn't it? can't swim. Yeah. Oh. I, I couldn't swim. Yeah, that's, don't do that. Though. So I put it. Yeah, was, you don't want to surf if you can't swim. Why not? I thought it was great. It was a lot <laughs> yeah, of fun. I you did. I believe you. <laughs> the surfboard didn't get very far away, but I mean. So I went to practice that night, and he goes, where are you from? And I don't have any idea who it is. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, you're I'm, 18 years old. Right? I, yeah, I mean, come on. I'm here to get an education. And he said, I want you to start practicing with the team. I said, that's nah, not going to do it. He said, I don't think you heard me. And I said, I don't think you heard me. <laughs> I'm not going to do it only because I'm here to get an education as fast as I possibly can. I have five classes a day and... I'm trying to get them done as fast as I possibly can because I have to have 25 classes to get where I want to get. And basketball, baseball, football, sports is not part. Well, what were you playing in the gym for? 
I said, because I needed the exercise. And besides, I finally got a 45-minute break, and I thought I'd come in. He said, and, and so you started, thought you'd break all the rules. I said, first of all, I didn't even know what the rules were, <laughs> let alone breaking rules. I said, if I'd have known that, I'd have done it right off the bat. I said, I break rules a lot. He said, what? I said, I just break rules a lot. I said, I had rules as I was growing up. I lived on a ranch. I you know, I mean, it's one of those things. And I did whatever I wanted to do. I was the baby of the family. The only thing I didn't do was get in enough trouble to where my dad got the razor strap and beat my ass. When did you learn that this gentleman speaking to you was John Wooden? Um, <laughs> after I told him no and left. Yeah. And one of the guys on the court said, do you know who you were just talking to? I said, No. Oh, who was it? He said, it was a coach. I said, yeah, okay, that's good. Coach who? He goes, John Wooden. I said, oh, man. oh who's that? <laughs> he goes, you got to be kidding me. I said, yeah, I know who John Wooden is. I didn't realize that's who it was. I'd never seen him before. How am I supposed to know who it is? It's incredible if you know like his background and you didn't realize who he was. Yeah, it's I awesome. just, well, I followed sports a lot when I was young. I mean, it wasn't just basketball and baseball. I wasn't particularly crazy about football because I don't like, beating on people fair you know i just i just don't i mean and if you think about basketball you don't beat on people i mean you yeah. black and block them out and get them at that but i take some guy and throw him on the ground eh, no thanks honey. didn't wooden and i'm the one that's getting thrown on the ground did wooden pursue you any more after that from what i understand it was supposed to be yes but i don't know if that's a correct answer or not because i didn't stick much longer than that my mother ended up about a month, month and a half later from that, she ended up getting really sick. And my dad didn't have any choice. He had to leave, and he went to South America for the company. And he knew he was going to be down there for about anywhere from three to four months. And someone had to take care of my mom. So you didn't actually play with Kareem. I thought you played with Kareem. No. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Okay. No, he told Wooden to stick it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was there for an education. I wasn't... I. I remember even in high school, sports in those days was kind of paramount. I mean, you had school. I went to Catholic high school, and you had classes, and you had respect. I mean, there was, yeah. you know, you I mean. You beat with a ruler back then. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you followed the rules, extreme, especially going through that. And so it was, uh, yes, sister, or no father, or, you know, it was very strict. Go wash the bathroom. Okay, yeah. Which, which, what do you want done? You know, I mean, it's just, it was just one of those things. You followed the rules. You did what you were supposed to do. But after it was all said and done, smart ass me was still around. I mean, it just. Well, but you did the right thing. You go home and help mom, right? Yeah, I went home and I sat with her. And then how long were you home before you went into the service? I was back. Let's see. I had to go home in February. It was right after my birthday. So I got home and, of course, February in Montana, uh, we, had, we had about we had a little snow, a little, uh, about two feet maybe. Yeah, that's exactly. little. Exactly. That yeah, little. it's little up there. Yeah. <laughs> so we're taking care of her. Everything is fine. I can get her up. I can get her into the bathroom. She's everything is fine. She's getting up and eating. I'm cooking food for her. Everything is fine. And then about seven months. Uh, it was September. I get this notice. Welcome. You are now a member of the United States Army. Oh, you got drafted. Oh. And I went, what? And I'm looking at this paper. This is, what the hey? 
The nearest recruiter anywhere was 23 miles away from in Butte. Jump in the car, I drive to Butte. Walk into the Air Force recruiter, and I said, you know, I'd already talked to you once about this. I said, what the heck is this? <laughs> and he said, um, you got drafted. I said, I don't want to go in the Army. <laughs> he said, I don't think you really have any choice. I said, you got any openings in the Air Force? He said, uh, when can you sign? I said, how old? Do I have to be 21 to sign? He goes, how old are you? I said, 18. He goes, you can sign right here. I said, right now? He goes, what? <laughs> Shit. So he starts filling out the paperwork. I signed on the bottom. He said, welcome to the Air Force. I said, oh, good. Now what? He said, you just signed your life away. He said, you're going to have four years with the Air Force. What do you want to do? I said, I don't know. You tell me. I said, I'll do anything. I said, just get me out of here because I ain't going in the Army. I'm not going to go for Well, that's what I was going to ask. So the Army... They, they draft you, but since you signed up with the Air Force, that cancels the drafting? It cancels. Well the done by you then, I guess. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to go so, in. Yeah, a lot of good it did me. Mom's back home with, it. I guess dad's back from South America at this point. Yeah, dad comes back and then he finds out. what. Now he's upset, so he's making some phone calls to get me out of the signing for the Air Force. Right. That ain't going to work. Dad, you ain't got enough political pull to do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's I'm not just telling fly. you, that ain't going to work. If you do. So the Orioles thing's just shelved it's forever. Gone. It's gone. It's okay. gone. It's gone. And so uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly what all I want to do. But you got four years now to I decide. Get, yeah. And so off to Lackman Air Force Base. No. Where's that? Yeah, no, I went to Lackman Air Force Base. Where's that at? Mississippi. Okay. So you're far from home now. Hot and sticky down there as opposed oh, to that, was it that nice thin air up in Montana. And I still don't know what's going to happen. I don't have any idea what my job's going to be. So we're down there, and one day they call me out and D.I. comes up and gets in my face and starts hollering and screaming at me, wanting to know what I want to do for a job. And I said, D.I., what's that, drill instructor? Drill instructor. Gotcha. And I said, now it was T.I. at the time, technical instructor. Air Force is technical. Army is drill. Got it. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I said, I don't know, wherever there's an opening, put me in there. I'll go. I said, I only got four years to have to worry about it. And I said, then I'm going back home. I said, I got stuff I got to do back in Montana. Okay, okay, okay. So I graduate. They said, you're going to Keystone Air Force Base. I said, oh, where's that? They said, Mississippi. I said, oh, I like Mississippi. Sounds good. He said, well, I said, where's Keystone? I said, oh, you're going to like it. It's right on the beach. I said, oh, shit, yeah. Bam, I like this. Get down there, and it's hotter than blazes. And we're three and a half blocks from the beach. Is this near Biloxi? Uh, it is. Swamps and shit. It's, it's west of Biloxi. Okay. Gulfport. Is yeah. so between no, Biloxi is east and Gulfport is west. Okay, and Keyser kind of fits right <clears> in the middle of that. Yeah, and sit in between the two bays. So I go to technical school and I spend fourteen weeks there, and I come out a combat controller. And they said, "Okay, where do you want to go?" I said, "Wherever there's an opening, send me." It surprised me. I only got three and a half years to go, so I get my orders: Malmstrom Air Force Base. Where's this? Great Falls, Montana. What the hell are you wow. sending me home for? My mother was ecstatic. I bet. So I get to Malmstrom. I get there. And uh, going through a bunch of stages, and, and all of a sudden this captain come up to me, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, sir, I don't have any idea. I said, I was told that this was my assignment. Here are my orders, and I'm here. You're supposed to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. I said, 
I'm just a one-striper, and I should be two-striper in about three or four days. And he goes, we'll see about that. I said, well, I said, that's typical. I said, you must be someone in charge because you don't like me because I smart off to you or something. <laughs> and he just kind of smiled. And so we're sitting there, and finally I get my second stripe. I get the sewed on. I'm all happy. And I get a set of orders. Hey, I'm going to Vietnam. I'm not supposed to be going to Vietnam. Why am I going to Vietnam? It's 1966. I said, I, I, I'm not even qualified to do anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not trained to do Why am I going to be? You're going to learn how. Oh, okay. Do I have to learn in Vietnam? Yep. You. Okay. So now my mom finds out, and she's upset. Now my dad's trying to make some phone calls, and all he's doing is making big waves for me. Because now I'm stamped PI, political influence. <laughs> and I'm shafted. What does that mean? That means that I have influence with the politics, and I can get anything done that I want to get done. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Bullshit. That's not a good thing. <laughs> no, it's not. Your bosses don't even want to think about political influence because the kiss of death. They could, they could. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I've lost a stripe or two along the way, you know, going up, yeah. the, up okay. the rank. But if I had PI, I could call and say I'm going to get about to get busted, and they could do something. So I, it, it's political influence in the military is just not good. Got you. Okay. <laughs> do your job. Be who you are. So anyway, so I go to Vietnam. I'm a combat controller. I'm sitting at the scope five miles south in Dong Ha, five miles south of the DMZ. Dong. And that's all I'm doing. I mean, I'm just going out and telling these pilots where to drop their bombs and how close they were and, you know, all this and getting all these calls in. And, hey, we need some help. We need some help. We need some airborne help right away. And I go, yeah, okay, give me the million down. I get the GOF and mark it out. And then somebody come up. Pointed right there, drop it right there. Okay. So you're telling people where to drop bombs and shit. Yeah. That's pretty cool. No, it wasn't. Okay. (laughs) No, because when the bombs dropped, that means there was no way to defuse that bomb. It was going to go off, and you hope like hell that you got the right spot. Yeah, that's a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, you know, it really really is, especially, you know, when when you think about what you're doing and you're who you are, and you know that bad things can happen. Sure. And if the bad things happen, you're killing your own guys. Oh fuck! Yeah, Good this point. is this is where Sam's PTSD comes in. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. And so, understandably so. Absolutely. It just it, it just I wasn't diagnosed with PTSD until oh, it's been I don't know what four years ago. Yeah, four or five years. Was that was at Lumiere from the thing at Lumiere? I was sitting at Lumiere, sitting at a slot machine. And I have, don't have any idea what was going on. I don't know what happened during the day. All I know is that I was really uptight about something, very upsetting. And one of the floor managers came up and grabbed me on the shoulder. And when they did, I turned and broke their nose. Yeah. Needed to say I'm not welcome back at Lumiere. Yeah, I wouldn't expect you to be. <laughs> and and I, uh, I, I, what? so... Did something like that I mean, happen when you were in the service where somebody grabbed you? And you- uh, you didn't... Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know so much that. I mean, that. I mean, you don't walk up behind these vets. You, that's one thing you don't do. You don't walk up. You know, it's just one of those things. But it's it it when that happened. You know, I mean, it's just. I mean, I spent twenty years in the military. I knew it was like to have my job. I became an air traffic controller. I love my job. You had to do what I told you to do. You weren't going to get on the ground. You know. 
Was I good at it? I thought I was very good at it. I did get some write-ups on some certain things for doing great things. I got some write-ups for doing some stupid things. But that's just part of the military. Once I started, I was a fast-pitch softball pitcher. wasn't bad. I bought about a 102-mile-an-hour fastball. I had a knuckleball. Wow. Curve, rise, drop, you know, we could do. And played a lot of military softball. But I bounded around a corner one day, and somebody talked me into going out and playing golf. And my whole life changed because all of a sudden, I didn't need somebody else to be with me. I could grab my clubs and go to the range and All beat that, the yeah. hell out of these stupid white balls. Or well, now they got to be yellow because I can't see white anymore. <laughs> just beat the <laughs> shit out of these things and swing as hard as I want to, and nothing. I didn't have to even go out and look for them anymore because the range had to go get them their own. So, so golf became a release by yeah. hitting the ball, not yes. even just the outside piece of it being around exactly. other people. It was the hitting of the ball. It it initially for the first year or so, it was a release of. Bad energy. Sure. I still had my smart-ass attitude. Um, I gift. still I still responded back to people. I never lost that. I mean, you know <laughs> that as well as everybody. Uh, but it it, 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 golf just became something that was very important to me. And it cost me a marriage. And then I got very, very fortunate that I met this beautiful, fantastic lady that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And she tolerates me knowing what golf does for me. And... Oh, I, you know, I really don't know where I'd be without her. I really don't. That, it's just live. This ain't live. Man. Would you say that, <laughs> aside from her, would you say that golf has been the biggest helper with your PTSD? Oh, there's no doubt. No doubt. And that's why I spend all this time helping Herm and, and the veterans. I, 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 we had a little incident here about two, three weeks ago, and I'm not going to get into it, but I have a Thursday veterans commitment now, and that's it. I'm all done with it. I still go out, and you'll see when we finish after I get, when I can finally open up my trunk and get everything out of the trunk into, into Herm's trunk, that people accommodate me when I ask if you've got any used clubs or used bags or anything that you don't throw it away. I have veterans who need them, not want them. They need them. And when you... It's to me, it's the most unbelievable feeling in the world to watch these veterans who are starting to play, who are coming out of their shell and realize that they can come out and do something and are able to do it with one leg, one arm, blind. They can come out and play and have fun and be able to socialize with other veterans and talk about the things that they went through as a veteran, and how it releases their inner self and how it works. I will never, ever give up that look for equipment and friends that need help that want to talk. So so I'm going to inject here. So (laughs) Sam is at the most orthodox person around so he you know in terms of going to the va getting treatment learning how to do things so what sam's found out is that that giving part Mm -hmm. that giving part has just fed him back right and that's what we all know that's why you're doing what you guys do here it's that giving part is 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 really feeling yeah i get it yeah good for you man 
like I said, if it, my bride is very, very tolerant. She has to be. Yes, she does. <laughs> she, she really does. And I, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I can never, ever, ever. I mean, we have disagreements. Oh. You know, I mean, there's, there's, everybody does. I don't care what happened, but just to be the luckiest guy in the world to have this beautiful woman as a wife, who uh, a lot younger than me, who can live on, on my paycheck after I die. So. You know, I mean, <laughs> she, I, I mean, she's just she's just an unbelievable lady, and her will agree with me. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, she's just she's a fantastic lady, and I'm sure. Well, I don't know. I, I, she uh, works at um, Old Hickory now. She is a bartender, unbelievable bartender. She, I, I'm when I met her, she was a bartender at, I'm trying to think of the name of the restaurant. It was right there at Cave Springs and 70. It's not the name of it anymore. They The name is gone now. Old Hickory. No, that's the name of the country <laughs> club she's at. Um, God, what Night Shift, maybe? Huh? Night Shift or Culpepper's? Uh, is that where you met her? Yes. Okay. I uh, Actually, she had a young lady that was living with her. Those, those two lived together. And I happened to meet this young lady, and I dated her. And she invited me over one day to come over, and I went over and sat down and was talking. And Lisa happened to walk in, and I was introduced, and we started talking. And one thing led to another. You pulled the switch. And so I said, no. I said, Threesome? And I said, no. Oh. No, no the one, the Seinfeld with the switch. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I said, you know, I said, Cheryl had to go somewhere, and I said, well, so what are you doing for dinner? And she says, nothing. I said, want to go to dinner? She said, yeah, I'd love to. So we That's went out. We started talking. One thing led to another, and a couple of days later, I called and I said, you'd be interested in going out on a date? She said, I don't know. What are we going to do? And I said, I don't know anything you want to do. I said, I usually go to the casino for a while and gamble a little bit. And I said, no, I'll eat, <laughs> and we'll go to a movie or whatever you want to do. She said, it sounds like fun. So we dated for, I don't know, a month and a half, two months, I guess. And I said, hey, uh, you interested in going on a trip with me? I said, it's not a very long trip. She says, what are you going to do? I said, I got a golf tournament down at Lake of the Ozarks. And I said, uh, we've got a house rented. I said, do you want to go? And she said, sure, why not? And I said, well, I said, some uh, place that we're, the place that we're staying with, you're going to know the guys. I said, I don't know, but their, their wives are going to be there. So I said, you guys will have things to do in the daytime while we're Perfect. playing golf. Perfect. Oh, I'd love that. So it started getting serious. And it, it, it was, to me, was the best thing that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. That's you know, awesome. it, really, it really, really was. I mean, it just, she settled me down a little bit. A little, a little bit. She settled me down a little bit. I, I started behaving a little bit better. And then I realized, okay, it's time to get serious about something. Well, then I get this phone call from Brian Maine, who's the director of golf at Whitmore. Sam, I need your help. What you need? And I know Brian. Brian and my two boys played golf together at Scott Air Force Base. His, Brian's dad and I were stationed at Scott together. And then boys used to go out on a golf course all summer long, every day. And he said, I'm starting a little thing here with the veterans. And he said, it's kind of gotten a little bit bigger than I expected. And I was wondering if maybe you could come help. And I said, I'm, 
leaving right now. I'm in the car. I'm on my way. No, 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 no. I said, I'm on my way. I'll, right up your alley. I'll talk to you there. Yeah. And he goes, are you serious? And I said, yeah, all you got to do is ask. You know that. So I went out and talked to him. He had everything all set up and arranged. And so we're about three or four years long, this veterans program kept getting bigger and bigger. Then I go over and talk to Marcuso, and I found out about this guy over there. That this Herman a, guy? Hey, this Herman guy. <laughs> Who's this Herman guy? Got this stuff set up over Arlington, and I wonder if I can get in as a veteran. I won't tell him who I am. I'll just see if I can get in as a veteran first. I <laughs> when he already knew who I was. I don't know how now he knew that, but... So Herm knows all. We got yeah, and he does know all. And so we kind of got together, and it started growing. And then in Brian's case, his just get kept getting bigger and bigger. And the next thing I know, it's five days a week for me, veterans every day. So Brian, awesome. Brian Maine and uh, Sam Gilliland, uh, people like John DePriest at uh, at uh, Sunset in Edwardsville. These guys get now 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 Sam and Brian. They're the two mainstays. Mm-hmm. in uh, teaching the vets and and also their demand and I got to tell you Sam will travel 100 miles 150 miles to go teach some kids for 3 days. He does that with our disabled golfer Danny Baker. He'll go out to Coffeeville, Illinois, spend 3 days with kids and teach them. That's awesome. For, Danny for Baker's a special man. I had a chance to work Very with him. Very special. Who's you Danny know? Baker? Danny Baker's a gentleman from Southern Illinois who's got a bigger passion from golf for golf than all of us put together. No shit. But he's really. He's I don't know about that. I don't know, man. He's not giving him that. He's, but he's pretty close. Um, <laughs> Herman, he's was he an amputee or is he? No, he's disabled. Okay. Okay. He's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. So from the way he still plays, but from the waist down, he, you know, it doesn't have any movement or very little movement. That's incredible. You know, he's asked me to come over and do some clinics at his place in Southern Illinois, and talking to him about golf, you can just see his. He just perks up whenever he's talking about golf, and he's been kind of a. I'd say a catalyst for all the things that well, are going on. He's the one that suggested us going to Arlington Greens and talking to the pro there, Mark Marcuso, who has just done wonders for our vets. Mm-hmm. And it's the place you always go to, right? Yeah, same one. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't have been for uh, Danny, we wouldn't have hooked up with uh, Arlington Greens. So wow. Danny's a special guy. Danny actually started clinics with uh, the gentleman I mentioned from University of Missouri, Jerry Heitzusen, at the VA before the PGA came in. So we actually had clinics started. And when they came to me and said, hey, we'd like to start clinics here, and we said, well, don't reinvent the wheel. We've already got going. And then they took it, and it went up from there. So mm-hmm. they helped to start the league, and it was great. Sam, what is it that you, in your mind that makes golf – so great for not just veterans struggling with PTSD, but just for people that can use golf as in Herman's uh, space of expertise, which is that recreational therapy area. It's, it is a therapy. And it, it, it really is. I mean, you, you get away from life. You know, you're there for one thing. Take the club from here and swing it to here. You know, make it in a circle. You get to see results some good, some very good, some not so good, and some, God, what did I let you <laughs> Why did I do that? Yeah. So, I mean, it is. It is a therapy, and it, and it, and it runs your system, and, and you use your mental ability to the max mm-hmm. because nobody wants to go do something and do it half-assed. When you do something, you want to try and do it as good as you possibly can. So you work at it, you know. I mean, I turned pro in 85. Um, I was eight in 85, but go ahead. Hmm. <laughs> I, and, and so, uh, and, and I play a lot, and 
once I got into teaching, it seemed like that's all I was doing was teaching, and I couldn't play. Into... Now, the section, PGA, Gateway section, we have a tournament on Mondays, and I used to play in them all the time. The thing that the problem that I have with it now is, is you got the open division, the senior division, and the super senior division. Well, the open division goes to 49. The senior division goes from 50 to 60. The super seniors is 60 and above. I don't want to go play with a 60-year-old and compete for money with that guy. I'm 78 years old. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, you look pretty good for mm-hmm. 78. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being serious too, actually. <laughs> no, I would. I actually would have guessed you were high sixties. I would have thought you were sixty-seven, sixty-eight. No, but I'm seventy-eight years old. But I think I am like I am because I stay active all the time. I mean, I. So, yeah. so let me inject something here. So we all know how great a golfer that Mike Wellington is, right? The Maybe sweetest stretch. swing. You know, you sit oh, there yeah. in amazement when you watch his game. I've never seen it. He won't take me out. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Let's not get into this. <laughs> this I is a 78-year-old Mike Wellington in terms of no shit. Skill, wow. in terms of uh, smoothness, uh, tempo, just unbelievable. There you go. Good for um, you. But I work at it. And I practice all the time. You have to. I, I know. And, and you, you know. do. I mean, I, it's it's... When I hit 70, I said, I'm done. I'm not going to teach anymore. I'm all through. The day ends and why I'm going to play golf. I want to play golf every day. And I'm, the fortunate thing is, is that I'm a member of the PGA. The fortunate thing about that is, is that I can call most of the places here in St. Louis that have a pro and say, hey, you object if I come out and join somebody. And the majority of the people know that I'm a smart ass, but they know that the people around me are going to have fun with me because... I'm a smart ass, and I don't get serious about it. I really don't. I'm just there to play. On the other hand, when I travel, I can stop at any golf course and walk in and talk to the pro and say, hate to do this to you, but here's my card. you have any objection if I play? I just I need something to, to get out of my system. And nine times out of ten, they say yes, and it doesn't cost me anything. Now, there's some places that will charge me. Why wouldn't they want you to play? Well, they don't know me. I mean, now, think about it. Oh, you mean it. places you're not a member at, like right. closed? Okay. Some, yeah, some, okay. some places. You know, because I do, I do travel. I go to Arizona. Mm-hmm. I go out and spend some time with my brother-in-law. And while I'm out there, those people don't have any idea who I am. You know, I've been very fortunate that I was last year's Patriot Award winner. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. And to me, not just once. More than one. Herman, what is the Patriot Award so people know? Well, the Patriot Award is given to the PGA teaching professionals that exemplify their teaching skills, their, their compassion for people. Uh, and in this case, uh, he's, he's, he's won it more than once. Uh, he's turned it down more than once because he thinks it should go to other people. This man is every bit of uh, what, what you would put up there. So he's going to kill me for saying this, but... Yeah, the truth is the truth. But it's so I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to take take the mic here just for a sec. The only problem that he creates in my league is everybody wants to play with Sammy. Yeah, it's a real <laughs> terrible issue. Everybody wants. I said I I only got one Sammy. Well, can't you put us all on one team with him? I said I can't do that. <laughs> hey, it's not your fault they give you awards. I mean, you would do it for even if there was no awards, or you would do it just because you like to do it, right? I mean, no, I don't like to do it. You love it. Yes, I do. I really, really do. I mean, it is, it is, uh, it's my life. And it's part of my life. And when you hand, hand someone 
a set of clubs that he's never owned before. And you look at his face and you see what happens. And you see the look on his face. And you really feel like you accomplished the day's mission for not only them, but for the feeling that you just received. And it does. I'm sorry. You're good. Oh, no problem. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just unbelievable. And, and I will agree with me. They just, they look forward to the next time they can go play golf. They're not worried about the past. They're not worried about what happened to them. Does it still pop up? Yes. There's certain things that still create problems with me. Don't bang on the door right now because I'm going to jump. I mean, it, it's just, it's one of those things. It, it's, it's part of my past history. I can't block it out. Were people killed? Yes. But I lived. The good Lord's got a reason for me to be here on earth. And besides upsetting a lot of people by saying what I feel like I want to say anytime I want to say it, <laughs> it's a very rewarding experience to watch the veterans. And you've been over there on Thursdays. Of course. You see what they're like. Oh, it, it touches me like I've, I can't even put it into words. <laughs> it's just so unbelievable to watch these veterans. And it's, I don't care if it's male or female, and it, it, it's, they're there for a reason and they're there for a purpose. And Herm has developed that program into an unbelievable, unbelievable program. So what, what Sammy does there is he leads by example. He's a great role model. He's a veteran. He's their brother. Uh, he teaches them now how to give. Because this is uh, what I call a shits and grins league. We go out there and have fun. We don't worry about who, who shoots the best scores. But what they watch in Sammy is Sammy gives. So now what, what we've seen over the last several years is we have vets coming out and somebody will take a vet aside and say, I got this one, Herm. They're watching Sam and how he gives. And that they're, they're, they're given, but they get back. I had one time, I had Allie Wells, the, uh, the head of the, the, uh, gateway section. the gateway section, came up to me one time and says, what more can we do for vets? And I said, well, I got a point to make to you. I said, you know, you're doing a great job what you give to them. But I said, uh, you need to live there, let them give back. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, all these tournaments that you're running and invite them to? I said, let them do something. Because when you let them do something, that's when they get something back. Right. When you do something all for them, they don't get that payback. So what Sammy teaches is how to give. And now it's such a beautiful thing in the league because they're, hey, sister, hey, brother, let me, uh, let me, uh, let me help you out here. Whether it's an issue with PTSD, uh, you're checking a book, uh, uh, you, you had a contractor uh, just screw you over on a, on a contract. Somebody's going through a divorce, yeah. Whatever the deal is, yeah. Wow. Man. Look, yeah. this, <laughs> it's, it's quite a game, this golf, I'll tell you that. It much. is. It's the most unbelievable game. And, and it's, and it's I, I don't know how many times a year oh, anybody could do that. And, my, and of course, my smart-ass reply to that is, oh, really? Come on, I want to see you do that. You know, if it's so easy, why the hell aren't you out on the tour doing it? You know? Right. I mean, look at the money that's out there. It's crying out loud. It's that easy. Go get that money. Get them millions of dollars. Right. Oh, it's not that easy? Oh, the first time they swing and miss. Oh, I thought you said it was easy. Jeez, how'd you miss that ball? It ain't even moving. See, the thing that I notice in seeing you work with the veterans and, and watching Herman do what he does with the league and the veterans, you know, me, my growing up, 
junior golf, college golf, amateur golf, then professional golf. It was always competition, right? And that's still a piece of it. You know about oh, that. Oh, sure it is. But but the thing that I, that the league taught me and watching veteran golfers has taught me is that golf is so much more than just competitive golf. Golf is <laughs> is so much – it's so good for so many different reasons for so many different people, right? There's certainly the, the competitive aspect of it, of playing a tournament, and that's one piece of it. But then just – getting the veterans out there. Like you said, people that have never played before, getting them out there just to be outside and like talk the game a little bit and hit that one good shot that will put that smile on their face. And then they come back the next week because they want to try and get that again. That's when I saw a shift in my mind from, oh, it's way more than just competition. It's, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. And it's building up that confidence. I mean, and it's, it gets their mind into thinking about something that becomes fun and not something that's, that's bad. And they still think about bad things, and there's still things that flash through their mind that they really would prefer not to think about, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. But as they progress in golf and as they start getting better, those visions get farther and farther mm-hmm. and farther behind. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing you're, you're kind of explaining there, and I see it too, is golf is so all-encompassing that it makes your mind work in such a way that when you're out there playing the game, you do forget about those other things that are going on, right? Exactly. That might, whether, it's, whether it's something that happened when you were you know, serving in the military or, or something you have that's maybe bad at home or bad in the business world, you know, the, the, the game just completely sucks you in and it gives you a break from everything else. Yep. Yep. You, you, yeah, you become your own person. Mm-hmm. You know, you basically, you take that club out of the bag and all of a sudden... Everything just kind of disappears, and the only thing you're thinking about is, I got to take this stupid stick, and hit <laughs> yes. that ball, and just yeah, come But on it in. also teaches you <laughs> integrity, you know, following the rules, Boy, playing it the right, right way. Yeah, I mean that that's that's <clears throat> one of my pets about golf is people that like to cheat. It's a bad uh, habit. Very it bad is habit. a bad habit. And the problem with it is, is that when you see it happen, it's hard to call it. Because you don't know what they're going through. You don't live their life. And if they have to cheat to try and become better, the only thing you can kind of do on something like that is, is um, did you do realize that the, you, you know, you move that ball and, it, oh, oh, okay. All right. You know, and, right. and just let it go. You know, don't get in a fight. Don't argue. Don't bitch and moan and complain. Hey, you moved the ball, you moved the ball. But you'll watch other veterans actually call other guys on and say, you know, that's not in the rules. You can't do that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, hell, I've been caddying this year on the Champions Tour, and I wish some of the players would call out some of the other players yeah. for some of the things that go yeah. on. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. It, it, it is, but that, isn't that part of the game? Not seriously, think about it. Isn't that part of the game? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have any idea how much it costs now to get into it. If you're on the Champions Tour, what's the entry fee for the tournament? There's no entry fee for those guys. Let's just go play. And they, you know, no entry fee. Really? Yeah. And, and there isn't one on the PGA Tour either. There's no entry fee. Oh, the money's too big now. What's what's a 200 or a $500 entry fee going to do? You know what I mean? It's not really going <clears> to <throat> affect the purse. Oh, I mean, I'm right. going to have to start practicing again. I'm too old to do that <laughs> shit anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you get me an entry fee? I mean, can you get me in there? I want to go play in the seniors. Sammy, I could get you in probably. No, thanks. Sammy, what, what do you, in your mind... In all these years now that you've worked with Herman, what do you see that Herman has created in case veterans are listening to this and they've never been to the league, they've never been to Arlington? 
What would you tell a veteran that's listening about what Herman's doing with this league? Herman has turned a game of golf into a game of life. When you watch these people, I mean, you have to understand, I mean, they don't pay anything to play. What, five bucks? It cost them entry fee of for the for twenty weeks of golf. It cost them eighty dollars to join our association. Yeah, five dollars a week that goes one hundred percent into their payback for for prize money at the end of the year. What yeah. a deal! Is that yeah, gambling? Uh, technically, I hope. I guess, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that. You could say that. But what it, it what it involves is you get, and you just see it just building and building. And every week, every Thursday, you see two or three new people. And they're being brought there by fellow veterans. And many that have never played golf before. Yeah. And so they come out, and they all say, go ask Sam. He's got clubs. He'll get you some clubs. You know, You're okay. like the pro shop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and my problem is I give them all to Herm so that he can take care of everything. Um, but it, it's you see them develop this camaraderie that was there before. But now it's really there because now they're looking forward to coming in and playing and helping the team and enjoy the game like it's meant to be enjoyed. You know, I mean, you think the guys on tour really enjoy golf? Not all the time. No. Oh. No. And you can see that all he has to do is miss the cut. And you can see he's not enjoying it one bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch a guy that wins and you watch it how he reacts at, 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 at winning. And you think, I mean, holding up that trophy and giving it a kiss, I understand that. But does he, he just doesn't he just doesn't look like he's happy. I mean, he's just, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's just me. Uh, and, and I know I'm disgruntled. I mean, I, 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 I look at things maybe too much in a circle because I try to look at everything and, and make sure that I, I'm going to upset two or three people. I just don't want to piss off six or seven. You know, I, sure. I and, and so it used to be I didn't really care whether I made anybody unhappy. Now, Herman's kind of got me. Are you softening? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, I That's am. Yeah, I am, and, I, and I'm old. You know, I mean, I. Yeah, just, it's all relative. No, it's not. No, <laughs> no, I am. I'm, I'm old. I, I mean, I, I seventy-eight. Everybody's going seventy-eight ain't old. Phew, baby, come on, live my life. Just. Think back about all the things you used to do and all the things I'm still doing and everything that's going on. And, you know, I'm, I probably put, let's see, three tanks of gas a week. Yeah, go shoot my car. A lot of driving. Yeah, and it's all going to this golf course, helping these people, going to the driving range, helping these people. Hey, somebody calls, come, can you come help me? Yeah. And so now I have one trip that's an automatic, and that is 70 to 270 north, 270 to 255, 255 getting off at Horseshoe Lake Road. Horseshoe Lake Road. And I'm at Arlington. I know that one. And I enjoy it. And I try to get there. Herm is very generous in the fact that he kind of helps me out with the tea times. But I try to get there early enough that I'm there at least an hour, hour and a half beforehand. So if anybody needs lessons, we go to the tea and work on our swing. You know, and they all know that. They all realize that. And there's some people that have a 1.30 tea time that shows up at 10.30 so that they can get a lesson before they go out and then they practice a little bit. But that I think that's what it's all about. For me, just watching the veterans. You know, I, if there's anybody out there listening, nobody cares. You need to come over starting at 11.05 on Thursdays. 
to Arlington Greens in Granite City and watch these veterans show up. And as soon as they pull those clubs out of their car, the biggest smile on their face appears, and it's just unbelievable. It really, really is. And they're just a happy camper. Look, so they, they, they were taught to be a team in basic training. They went through Vietnam, some of them, some horrible things. Had some terrible things happen to them, mental, physical. Now they're back at the game of golf, and they're a team again. They went from learning how to be a team, performing as a team, hard things happen, and now they're a team again. And that's yeah. their captain. That's fantastic. Yeah. That makes don't sense. make me the captain. I'm not the captain. <laughs> Thank you. Just, uh, you're one I of the leaders over there. I've been there enough to know that you're one of the leaders over there. <laughs> Don't put that on me. That's a lot to carry around on my shoulders. <laughs> uh, I mean, fellas, well. this uh, this has been spectacular. Absolutely. Um, thank you, you know, to no end for coming in and, and Thank you for the us. invite. Yeah. yeah. This was a surprise. You just me. popped in on a whim, too. Yeah. That, that's perfect. The only reason. It's meant to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, 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 you know what? And it's really been a very, very enjoyable hour. Jeez, it's been more than an hour. Doesn't Holy matter. God. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't make one bit of difference. No. But all, and all I was doing, I just wanted to get Herm to get him get all these clubs out of my car so I could put my clubs in the in the trunk where it's safe because <laughs> they're riding in the Mike, seat. Can I put a plug in for anybody that's interested? Anybody that's interested, please don't hesitate to call me. My name is Herm Lugie, L-U-G-G-E. My phone number is 618-791-2635. We play a nine-hole scramble every Thursday. First tee-off is 10.58. We usually are done by three or four, the last team. Please come out and experience. If you don't want to golf, come out and just check it out. Yeah. Where's that? Where's it at? It's at, Grant, it's at Arlington Greens Golf Course outside of Granite City, it's Illinois. It's right off of Highway 255 and Horseshoe Lake Road. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to say before we— uh, No. Just uh, I'd like to thank the veterans for what they did. Absolutely. I, I and and here, here. being a veteran, I'm. I, I, it sounds like I'm thanking myself, and I don't mean it to sound like that. But boy, you got somebody that if you need something, please. My name's Sam Gilliland, and I'm not giving you my phone number because I'm tired of the phone ringing. All the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and if there's anything anybody would like to do for vets, and specifically this golf league, uh, contact me. We have people, you know, we're putting up a a fifteen thousand dollar forty by sixty foot tent, and we're asking for donations for that. Mike's helped us out with some. Very important infrastructure to help us out. So if anybody wants to donate, just give me a call. And, yeah, you know, we've got an association. Definitely. It's called the Arlington Greens Veteran Golf Association. Arlington Greens Veteran Golf Association. Man, thank you guys so much. Honestly, oh, you really, thank you. really. <laughs> thank you for, for everything. Yeah, and I appreciate you, boy. Appreciate you boys coming in, and uh, we'll check in on you, obviously, from time to time. And uh, please, and be sure to check out uh, Street Smart if you guys uh, know anybody out there that's trying to work on their mental health. We're trying to help people out there, and uh, we will see you next time. For Brandon McNamee, I'm Michael Wellington. Thank you. This has been Street Smart. Love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>